worship in this place. And Lord, as we have just sung these amazing songs of worship back to you, Lord, I've, I've literally, myself, I've just sat in humility, thinking how much of a privilege it is just to be able to, to bring those back to you. And Father, that we could come in this place and, and just to learn from your living word, Lord, it's humbling that we could do that as well. Father, I pray that today's message would fall fresh on the ears of everyone listening. And I ask that there would be nothing that, that I would necessarily say or, or do, Lord, that would be the lasting oppression uh, or footprint in the hearts of your people. But, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint your word and just to, just to bring that blessing upon your people so that they could live changed lives and that they could know you more and then in turn they could also know more about themselves. And I just ask and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Today we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 19. We're going Old Testament on you today. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 14 is where we're going to start. And while you flip, um, who's ever seen on ESPN the, the contest for the world's strongest man? Have you all ever seen that? World's strongest man. Raise your hand if you've seen it. All right, those of you who haven't, these people are incredible. I mean, these guys, most of them are, are like just mountain of men. And that they can do just extraordinary things. And in the course, basically what it is, it's just a big type of a tournament where they have these just feats that they have to accomplish to be able to, to progress in the tournament. And one of the things that, that really blows me away is literally they like strap on like a small European car under their shoulders with some harness thing. And they literally get inside this car and they lift up this car and that they bring it a certain distance. And the person who brings it the farthest in the least amount of time is the winner of that specific event. It's amazing. These men are incredibly powerful. And I think, without a shadow of a doubt, that if we worked out hard enough, we could do the same. Right? Or not. No, but I look at these guys and I'm really blown away. And, and I look at these, I'm thinking, what in the world did these guys have to do to be able to accomplish the feats that they do? They do all kinds of incredible things. They like literally pull semis. They'll hook a, a harness thing again with a big long rope and they'll literally pull a semi just with their body. That's incredible to me. They're they are powerful and incredibly gifted and talented individuals. But you know what? Every one of them has a weakness. Every one of them has a limitation. There's only a certain amount of, of power and strength and ability that each one of them has. And so many times in our life, we have to understand that we have those limitations too. As we kind of are going to dig into, uh, kind of jump right into the story of Hezekiah with a prophet by the name of Isaiah who is prophesying at the same time. Hezekiah is the king of Judah of the scripture that we're about to jump into. And one thing that he finds out in this scripture is he comes to the end of himself. It says in the, in the chapter previous that he's a godly man, that he's, he's, he is basically, he is a god like, uh, or excuse me, that he is a man of chasing after God like his fathers did, which is a great honor. And you see that in the Old Testament. Usually that's what they did. Either somebody followed after the Lord as their fathers did, or they did not follow. But he was one of the individuals who sought after God. He was an incredibly powerful 
able and gifted men. But yet, we see in this scripture, starting in verse 14, that he has to come to the end of himself, the end of his abilities, the end of his talent, the end of his strengths, to be able to tap into what God wanted to do. Kind of what happens here, to give you the, the context in, in this section, there has been a, a certain king, the king of Assyria, the name of Sennacherib. Um, I pro- probably pronounced that right, but, or wrong rather, um, either one. It really doesn't matter, we're moving on. But one thing that happens is the king of Assyria is, is basically harassing Hezekiah. And he has sent this letter and he, he basically challenges Hezekiah and he says, who do you think you are? He says, yeah, you're, you're following after this God, and I just want you to know that you're going to fall, and your God is going to fall like all of the other countries that we've attacked to get to this point. So he challenges Hezekiah, and he says, and he writes this letter, and then Hezekiah gets this letter in verse 14. We kind of see Hezekiah's response. We're going to read this in sections because it's a, a large passage that we're covering. We're starting at verse 14, going through verse 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their, king, and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only of wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. See, Hezekiah... He, gets, he knows at the end of him, he's at the end of himself. He's a talented guy. He's the king. We know that he's a godly man. He's doing things. He's seeking the Lord in his own life, but yet he has reached the point where he is ineffective. He knows that the king of Assyria has dominated these other countries, and he knows that if God does not basically come into play in this situation, if God doesn't show up in a big way, they're toast. He knows that they're done. So he, he said to the end of himself and he says, Lord, he says, you who are basically are seated beneath or between the cherubim. He says, you know what? You're the God of heaven. You're the real God. And he makes mention at the end of this passage, he says, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, and throne between the cherubim. You alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. He's saying, Lord, please. Please intervene in this situation. I'm at the end of myself. My army, yes, we, we're an equipped army, but we're not equipped enough to be able to handle what is standing before us. He says, please, and he comes humbly before God, and he puts, he puts God on his throne. He says, please show up in a big way. Who in here has ever been at that point in their life where they say, God, please show up in a big way? I know some of you are here right now, and you're saying this to yourself. You know what? I have this incredible burden in my life, and I think that maybe God would want you to know today that he is able. That he is able. That just as much as he is able, he was able, rather, to handle the situation that Hezekiah found himself in. He's a man who's chasing after God. He's seeking after God. But yet, he gets to the end of himself so he can get at the beginning of what God wants to do. And I think maybe some of us have to do the same. I I like this. 
following the rest of this text, it says, It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. Hezekiah recognizes what's happened. He says, yeah, the king's telling the truth. All these other countries that are mentioned in, in the chapters previous to this, he says, all of these other countries have been dominated by the Assyrians. We know that. And he says, Lord, I, I, I realize what's going on, and I know that if I keep following the same path that I'm on right now, that we are going to be toast because there's nothing we can do to be able to counter this, this massive army that has just been gaining steam. Because what these armies would do is they would take over one group and then they would make them fight. And then the, the army would actually become bigger and bigger and bigger every country that they dominated. And he says, Hezekiah recognizes, he says, you know what? He says, I know that he's destroyed these lands, but look what it says in verse 18. It says, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods. So he- Hezekiah, he goes through and he says, you know what? He goes, I know what all these people were doing. Yeah, they've thrown their gods, quote-unquote, small g. I've thrown them into the fire. They're just, they're, they're wood and stone. They're nothing. They're, they're created things. He says, I know that they weren't gods. They were worshiping them falsely. But he says, God, you are the one who sits between the angels. You alone, God, do that. And he says, you made the heaven and the earth. He puts God on the throne and I think some of us need to put him on the throne of our lives today. Now, one thing that, that I love about this is, is just the sincerity of Hezekiah's prayer. I mean, he's, he's just sincere before God, and it's no frills. He says, God, I know who you are. I know who I am. I'm at the end of myself, but I know you are able. I know you're able to handle this situation Please intervene in a big way. There's nothing else I can do. Because if I keep going on the same path that I'm going right now, I will not get the result that I want. Then it continues, verse 20. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Right? So this is a message from Isaiah. Isaiah was the prophet I mentioned earlier. He's the one who's prophesying helping Hezekiah. Hezekiah is not a prophet. Isaiah is the prophet who's, who's ministering to the people, to uh, the tribe, of basically, or to the nation of, of Judah at this point, and helping Hezekiah and giving him direction from the Lord. And this is what it says. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Against him against Sennacherib, against the Assyrians. He says, The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have insulted or blasphemed? All of this is going to the Assyrian king. He says, Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? And and look at this, he says, Against the Holy One of Israel. He's asking a rhetorical question that he's going to answer at the end. He says, who have you raised your voice to? Who have you done all these things to? He goes, you've done this against the Holy One of Israel. This isn't just, this isn't just a matter of kings talking about kings. He says, you haven't just challenged me. You've challenged my God. And he says, look out. And he says, by your messengers, you have heaped insults on the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I've cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its pines, and I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forest. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all of the streams of Egypt. 
he goes through and he says, you know, I'm just going to break this down for you real proper. He says, I know what you claim to have done, and I, I know the great things that you've done, but he says, my God is able. My God is able. And Isaiah is bringing this message. It's supposed to be a message of hope to Hezekiah, but you have to understand the role of, of Isaiah. And I'm going to step back for just a second. Isaiah, him being a prophet, known as one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, the role of a prophet was not a popular one. Oftentimes, he would not have friends because every time that he would bring a, a prophecy to whether it was against the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah, that he would bring this, this prophecy, usually it was condemning bad behavior. But any time it was that he would condemn bad behavior, they would look at Isaiah and they would grumble about Isaiah and be like, man, why are you always bringing bad news? But yet, whenever good things happen and they actually fell in line to what God wanted, then God got all the credit. So really, Isaiah was in a pickle. He was in a bad situation either way. And him being a prophet, not a favorable one. So you have to kind of step into the scripture a little bit to see all that's happening. And Isaiah is, is really, at this point, he's the mouthpiece of God. And he sent this message to Hezekiah, like I said, in, in just saying, you know what? I've heard your prayer. That God is telling Hezekiah, he says, I've heard your prayer, but I'm able. He says, I know what has happened. I know what he's accusing you of. And I know what he's accusing me of. But he says, I just want you to know that I'm able. I want you to know that I'm not going to stop. At no point am I going to stop. Am I going to walk away from you? I'm going to cling close to you. And he says, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him, against the king of Assyria. He says, this is what the Lord has spoken against him. And I have to tell you, I am so thankful that the Lord doesn't speak that about us, right? Of the redeemed of God, because this is, this is somebody who is defiant of God, who is blasphemed God, who has challenged the authority of God. Challenge the ability of God. He didn't trust that God was able. But if you're a follower of Christ today, we can stand not in, we can stand as redeemed and not convicted. We can say amen to that. Now I look at this, and everything everything is flowing along fine. But here's a challenge coming up in verse 25. Verse 25 and 26 says this. This is. This is more the challenge. This is the Lord's reply to what's going on. He says, Have you not heard to the king of Assyria? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. I, the Lord, planned it. And now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. So the Lord is going through and he says, he's like, pal, let me tell you something. You haven't done much. Because as he says here, he says, I ordained it. I planned it. I brought it to pass. So the Lord has orchestrated everything that's happened up to this point. This is a challenge for me to think this way. And this is probably a struggle for many folks because we want to think of God in the positive way. We want to think of, well, God is a God of deliverance and a God of promise and but he's also a God who condemns sin. He condemns sin. He doesn't like sin. And you sit and, and look at this, and I sit and look at this, and sometimes we find it's all right to give God the credit for good things, but yet we also have to realize that somebody is to blame for the bad things, and that's not God. 
because he's the stable one. He's the one who's able. As we talked about last week, we talked about how he's self-efficient. He's self-existent. He's an independent God. That he interacts with us, not because he, he has to, but because he chooses to. So now we're kind of in a predicament that needs unpacked a little bit because we have to find some understanding. Okay, he says, why? And we can't really, I'm just going to share a scripture with you with, from Ephesians that, that's going to put a little light on this. This is a really a deeper concept for a different day. But this is what Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says. It's to try to get us to understand maybe a little bit more that's at work because we know that God planned for the king to be able to take in those other countries. We know that God ordained it. We know that he brought it to pass. But he also has other things that he has that come to pass in our lives. And let's look at this scripture. It's on the screen. It says, it's in you, Christ. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and every one. So there's, there's more going on here than what we think. God is not just working in our lives. God is doing so much more in everyone's lives all at the same time. And you see, we go through here and it says at the beginning of, of this translation, the message translation of this text, it says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are. I don't know about you, but I've lived, when I, I lived my, my adolescent years, my teenage years, I mean, I thought I had it all figured out, right? Until I realized that I didn't have it all figured out. But I thought I had it all dialed in, I was all taken care of, and I had all the answers. I didn't have to listen to my parents. Who needs parents, right? I, I, had, I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I knew how it was going to happen. But something had changed. In the course of my plans, well, everything changed. And then I realized that maybe I didn't know everything that I thought I knew. Until I found Christ. And I look at this scripture, and it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Because whenever I received Jesus Christ, then I started to realize more deeply, you know what? This is who I am. That my plan, who I thought I was, was really, it, it was so much dependent on what I wanted to do. But the moment that I, I found Christ and the Christ found me, I found my purpose. And I found that my purpose in life was deeper than, than all the things that I wanted to do and all the things that I wanted to accomplish and all the places that I wanted to go and all the people that I wanted to meet and all the money that I wanted to make. Because once I found Christ, and it's, it's in Christ Jesus, that we find out that who we are and what we're really living for. And what we're really living for is His will and not just our own. And as this passage continues, it says, long before we first heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had our plan set out for us. The same thing as we see in this scripture, how He says, I ordained it, I planned it, I brought it to pass. God has done the same thing for you, and He's doing a work through you. And if we follow this passage all the way through, and He says, He's working out everything, or working out in everything and everyone. God's not just at work in you. He wants to use you to interact uh, with other people. He wants to use your story, not for just your benefit or for your success, but to benefit others. Because he says, long ago, I planned it. I ordained it. I made these things come to pass. 
even things that you would say were, were challenges in your life, God does not want you to sit in defeat. He wants you to sit in victory. And you can only sit in victory as if you find out your purpose for living. And that's in Christ Jesus. That's been the, the case in my life. I remember back to my years in college, and uh, my story was such that I went to high school, and four days after graduation, I went into the Navy. After I went into the Navy, then I decided to go to college. Well, in, in the time that I was in the Navy, I received Christ as, as my Lord and Savior. And it was a great day. I remember the day. I remember the events of the day. It, w- it was amazing, and um, it really kind of transcends any experience I've ever had. But I also remember that in that course of events, there were some things and probably lack of discipleship, really, in the church I was in. And as I was seeking after Christ, something changed. I have to tell you, God didn't change, but something changed. And my heart started to to work a little bit, and I started to fall back into the rut that I was in before salvation. And I went for a few years, and I went my own way. I have to tell you that God was still God. He was still seated on the throne. I just didn't recognize the throne that he was seated on. Amen? Y'all understand that? That God never stopped being God. I stopped seeking after him. I stopped doing what I was supposed to do. He never stopped. He was always able, but because of the course of events that happened in my college years, it almost cost my marriage. It almost destroyed everything that I had ever thought that God was going to do previous to this, but it crept up on me. As Hezekiah, we look at this scripture and we see that, that he gets to the end of himself. Pay, lean into this a little bit and listen. He gets to the end of himself and realizes that he needs to lean into God. He, that he gets to the end of himself and he says, you know what, I can't do it. I may be a great strategist. I may be a great general. I may be a great king. I may be able to do all these things, but at this point, it, what I can do is, is going to be surmounted by, these, by the Assyrian king. And he leans into God and he says, God, I need you in a deep way. See, my challenge was whenever I got to, it took for me to, to get to the end of myself, even after I received Christ, that I decided to go my own way for a little bit for me to come back and say, God, now I remember what you saved me from. Did God change? Tell me. Did God change? Who changed? I did. If you've accepted Christ and maybe you're, you're at a stage of your life and you're like, you know, maybe you've stopped thinking that God is able. Maybe you're sitting looking at your life and, and you subject human reasoning upon God and human limitations on God. I want to tell you that's no place to be because the moment, the moment, and this will be on the screen, the moment that, you've, that you start to put human limitations on God, you lose the very essence of the power of of God in your lives. Just as that song that we sung earlier, the Like a Lion song, of how our God's not dead, that he's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Living on the inside of who? Of the heart, living in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. That's where he's alive. And we look at this so many times that we, we, we come to the end of ourselves, but all we do is we become bitter. We become upset. Instead of getting to the end of ourselves and leaning into God, we lean away from God. Instead of falling forward into the arms of Christ, we fall backward. And what I want to challenge you with today is you may be going through hardship today. You may be having struggle today. It could be financial struggle. It could be relational struggle. It could be be something within your home. It could be 
bigger than life to you. And I want you to know that God knows. But if you lean into Him and trust Him, He is able to reconcile every human limitation and every human weakness. But the moment that you place human limitations on God, you lose the very essence of the power of Him in your life. Because He's God and He's able. Somewhere along the way, in the course of life, some of us have stopped believing that. We've started to think that God is just a God who exists in these four walls that we sing songs about and you feel good about and you hear a message about and then, and then you walk out the door and you're the same as when you came in. I, want, I just want you to know that you are not going to really have the power of God in your life unless you realize that He is able and you invite Him in, just like Hezekiah did. He invited God in. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. My life is, an, is a living testament to that because my plan wasn't to be here on this stage. My plan was something completely different. Um, but God also has a sense of humor in getting me here. And you know, one thing that I've found through, through my life and in my, my walk with Christ is His ways are certainly higher than mine. I'm able to do certain things. He wants us to do certain things. He wants us to have fellowship with others. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to disciple others. He wants us to look after the needs of, of, of people who are needy and, and the homeless folks and the widows and the orphans. That's what, that's what the Word says. It isn't like we have to wait for another word of God for Him to do those things. The Word already says that. Those are things that we're supposed to do. That's part of our marching orders as people who are, are supposed to be seeking after God. And we're able to do certain things. And there's certain things we're not able to do. I'm, I'm actually debating right now whether or not to do a half marathon, right? I'm debating on whether or not, right? Y'all could probably help me debate and like talk my way out of it, which I'm open to that too. But I'm, I'm debating on whether or not to do it. And here's the thing. I might be able, if I train myself enough and I eat right, right? And I, and I get on the right exercise regimen. And then if I get enough rest, I might be able to do it if I do all those things. But let me just tell you this. God is already able to accomplish everything in your life that's broken. He is already able to heal everything in your life that's broken. He, he has never stopped being able because it says in the scripture, it says, I've ordained it, I've planted it, I've brought it to pass. If you're walking with Christ right now and yet you don't feel the power of God in your life, I have to let you know God has not changed, your hearts have, and I want to invite you to bring your heart back to Him. It's as simple as making a choice. See, God can't... He cannot do things that are not in harmony with His nature. There are certain things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18 tells us that. God cannot sin. James 1, 13 and, and tells us that, that he, can, he cannot sin. That He won't go back on His word. In 2 Timothy 2, 13 says that God will not go back on His word. These are things that God cannot do. He can do anything that is in, that is in compliance with His nature and His will, but He cannot go against those things. So the moment that we go through, and we have to have this, this idea that God is able because He is not subject to our limitations. We are subject to the lying, right? We all have a tendency or a propensity. We could, we could all lie. We're all, right? Shake your head. Because if you shake your head no, then you just prove my point. We all have a tendency because of the depravity of man to fall into a sinful pattern. God does not want us 
to, to have those patterns in our life. He wants us to break free of those things in our life. And we cannot have fellowship with Him when we cling to the things that are against Him. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. I hope it does. Continuing on, Hezekiah, he found that God was able to do, or he, 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 was, he found out that, that God was able to do certain things through the course of events. He found out that God is able because he's the true God, that he's not the, the God of, of, of wood and stones and buildings and crosses and, and bumper stickers and T-shirts and other Christian paraphernalia. He's the one true God. And Hezekiah realized at this time, and, and we're going to see this in the next little bit of Scripture, in verse 27, that, that God, as he's still conveying that message, he says, But I know where you stay and when you come and go, and how you rage against me, still speaking against the king of Assyria. He says, I know where you stay. I know wh- when you come and go. I know how you rage against me because you rage against me and your insolence has reached my ears. Listen to this. This is forceful language of God. He says, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. That's a big deal. This is a big deal and and the king would have received this in a certain way because the Assyrians in and of themselves, what they used to do, and it's very graphic, they used to actually take like grafts of people's skin off in layers and grafts of people's skin to humiliate them publicly. And they used to do this to torment the people until death. And then at some point, they would literally, they, that the Assyrians were known for putting hooks in people's noses and then pulling them around and mocking them as servants, especially countries, that, uh, uh, people groups that they had taken over. So they would go through and, and they would humiliate the folks by putting rings in their nose. And God uses the exact same language back to him. He says, he says, check this out, buddy. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. He says, I want you to know something, pal. I'm able to conquer you. Oh, am I able. And there's nothing you can do to get in the way. When, when, I, when I come to play, you're not going to win this battle. Time to play.